Well, if you have your Bibles today, I invite you to turn with me to uh, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9. Matthew, chapter 9, this morning as we conclude our series, My Life, His Life, the eternal forever series that just seems to keep going on and on. Well, it's going to conclude today with this final message, My Purpose, His Purpose. And we're going to go back to the original intent, the original primary purpose in which God invited you into his life. And we're going to look at that this morning. But before we go there, I just want to say this to our team. Uh, I've been on vacation for a couple weeks and I want to say this. Uh, thanks to Pastor Bobby and Pastor Jason, uh, our staff, um, for just for carrying the ball and just just uh, keeping things um, excellent, anointed, incredible ministry happening in Glad Tanks. Would you put your hands together and just thank them with me? Sometimes when I leave, some of the best things happen. Uh, and I tell my team, you know, maybe I, should, maybe I should take a break more often. You know, I miss a prayer meeting and I come back and I, I hear, man, that prayer meeting was incredible. This and this happened. And I said, well, maybe I need to miss more prayer meetings or something. You know, uh, God is how many of you know God's not dependent on a man, right? He is so much bigger than that. And I'm so glad that God is building the foundation of his church, not on a pastor, not on Peter, not on Walt. He's building the, the church on the foundation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, and we're so grateful for that. The second thing I want to mention before we get into the message is just some encouragement concerning this past uh, presidential election. I know there's a lot of thoughts. There's a lot of discussion out there about that. Pastor Jason, thank you for sharing some good wisdom uh, last week. What I'd like to share with you this morning is, is a couple things that I would share with you regardless of who um, our next president-elect would be. And I heard a pastor this past week saying, if you have lost more sleep over this past election than over lost souls, then perhaps you're a citizen of the wrong kingdom. I thought, whew, my goodness. You know, I've gotten I've gotten a number of emails saying, pastor, uh, we need to we need to protest and we need to sign petitions. I've also gotten a number of emails that say, Pastor, we need to have a celebration and thank God for answered prayer. <laughs> I've heard both. Listen to me. If, if you are more hopeful now because of the results of that election, then you have a misplaced hope. And on the, on the contrary, if you are feeling more hopeless because of the results of the election, you too have a misplaced hope. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. Church, listen, some, at some point we have to grow up in our faith and start believing the songs that we sing and believing the scriptures that we read. And the psalmist wrote in Psalm 42 in verse 11, he said, Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. I will yet praise him, my savior and my God. No matter who sits in the governing chair, let's begin. Let me challenge you. Let's begin to think and let's begin to feel and let's begin to speak and let's begin to act like God really is the God of the universe. That God really is the one who sits on the throne. That God's word trumps any of Trump's words. Amen. How many of you know we have a God in heaven who's also the God of earth? Let's begin to think that way. Let's begin to process things through the word of God. 
Let's begin to understand that things are much bigger than a man or a woman. And then we'll sleep better at night. Amen. Okay, Matthew chapter 9. We're going to jump into verse number 1. We're reading from the New Living Translation. And again, we're looking at my purpose, his purpose this morning. Jesus climbed into a boat and he went back across the lake to his own town. And some people brought to him a paralyzed man on a mat. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, Be encouraged, my child. Your sins are forgiven. How many of you know that'd be some pretty good news to hear that day? (laughs) Your sins are forgiven. But notice the response. But some of the teachers of the religious law said to themselves, That's blasphemy. Does he think he's God? Jesus knew what they were thinking. So he asked them, Why do you have such evil thoughts in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? And so I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and he said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. Now, notice the response this time. And the man jumped up and he went home. Fear swept through the crowd. And the kind of fear we're talking about is fear of the Lord or this reverent awe, this awe of God swept through the crowd as they saw this happen. And they praised God for sending a man with such great authority. So here's my question this morning. Why is it that people get more excited when a body is healed than when a soul is saved? When Jesus told this man, he said, your sins are forgiven, right? People argued about it. Well, I don't know that he really got saved. I don't know that he's really saved or I don't know that God would love this man enough or God would. He's such a sinner. I don't know that God would would forgive him. Right. But the moment he gets healed, right, then the place goes in a big uproar. Everybody gets sighted. Oh, my goodness. This man who was paralyzed, he got healed and everybody's shouting. Have you heard about the man who got healed? But when somebody gets saved, we go, oh, that's nice. Right. Can I tell you the greatest miracle you will ever experience is to see a soul saved. Jesus was setting precedent here. He was setting it in order. And he didn't begin with you're healed. He began with you're saved. He began with your sins are forgiven. We have to church. We have to rediscover the miracle of salvation. We have to begin to understand that our primary purpose here on planet earth is to say God can forgive your sin. And God can also heal your body. Are you with me this morning? You'll see the sick healed. You'll see the dead raised when you see the sinner saved. Churches and Christians, we get weird when we lose sight of our primary purpose. Pentecostals are really good at this. Pentecostals are known for their Pentecostal parties where they celebrate manifestations and they celebrate gifts of the spirit rather than people coming to Jesus. And I love Pentecost. Don't misunderstand me this morning. I love the gifts of the spirit. We need the gifts to do what God has called us to do. I love the manifestation of this. I love the presence of God. I love the tangibleness. I love all of that. But we have to understand and be reminded this morning that Pentecost was given to launch us into our mission. Not just to give us an experience to talk about. In Mark chapter 16, it's one of the great commission scriptures where Jesus is, he is sending out his disciples. He's launching them and, and he says this, he begins with go into all the world. 
Go into all the world and preach this gospel to every people. Go into all the world. And then he says, and these signs will follow those who believe. We've got to get the order right. Can I tell you that signs are not for believers? Signs are for the unbelieving. The priority is to first go into all the world. The priority is the primary purpose of seeking those that are lost. And when we go and when we seek and when we preach this gospel and when we win lost people, what will happen? Signs will follow. The miracles will follow. We'll be able to tell the people who are sick, go home, you are well. But we have to have the priority and we have to have the priority, the primary purpose right. Matthew chapter nine. Let's look at verse number nine now. It says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Now, let's stop there for a moment. Uh, Matthew was a publican or a tax collector. A publican was one who collected public tax. And he was sitting at his tax collector's booth, which was pretty common uh, for those booths to be set up all around the land. And uh, Matthew was in Capernaum and he was near the sea and he perhaps had a uh, a toll booth, if you will, there near the port there. Where as the ships would come in and as the people would come off the, the ships with their goods and things, they would have to pay that duty tax uh, uh, um, um, on the, the product they were bringing into the country. Or as they were traveling through Capernaum on the main road that went from Egypt to Damascus, they had to, as they entered in, they had to pay that tax. They, they had to go through customs, if you will. They had to pay duty on those things they were bringing in. And Matthew was one of those tax collectors. Now, that sounds pretty innocent and pretty good. But back then, they were very, very corrupt. And these publicans or tax collectors, they were put on the same level of evil as as thieves and as murderers. They were very, very corrupt. They were expected to bring a certain amount of tax in and anything above that they could put in their pockets. Anything above the tax they were to bring in was like a commission to them. Nobody knew what they had to bring in exactly. And so they would pad their pockets. They would just they would charge exorbitant amounts. Right. And they would just do this. And so they were known as like thieves and murderers. And they were like the bottom of the bottom. And and they were hated by everybody. And it was to this person, Matthew. I am so glad this morning that Jesus reached out to. And it reminds me this morning that no matter what you have done and no matter what people think of you, no matter how many people you've made upset, (laughs) no matter what's going on in your past, Jesus reaches out to you this morning. And he reached out to Matthew and he said this, he said, follow me and be my disciple. And Jesus, Jesus said to him. And so Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as a dinner guest, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? I like the way the New Living Translation puts it. Just put it out there. Why does your teacher eat with such scum? And when Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And then he added, now go and learn the meaning of the scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. 
The primary purpose, the primary purpose is to reach the lost. The Bible says that Jesus came to seek and save those who were lost. Our primary purpose, purpose, excuse me, answers the question why. It answers the question, why do I exist? Why does the church exist? Does the church exist for the church or for someone else? How about you? Have you ever asked the question, why do I exist? Why did God put me on the planet? Do I, do I exist here for me or did God put me here for someone else? Can I tell you this morning that Jesus didn't come to save you. He came to save the world. <laughs> we read John three sixteen for God so loved and we put our name in there. And I get that. I understand that's how we see that verse. And God does love me. And I'm so glad that he does. But how many of you know it's so much bigger than that? For God so loved the world. So God so loved the world. So let's not make Jesus about me. And let's not make church about me. Oh, I love church. Why? Because of what it does for me. Let's make church about the other person. The church doesn't exist for the church. The church exists for those who aren't in the church. That's why the church exists. He didn't save me. Jesus didn't save me to make me more comfortable. Jesus saved me to make me missional. He saved me to make me missional. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you happy. Right? Is that what he said? Or follow me and I'll, I'll make you blessed. I'll make you rich. He didn't say that. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I will make you missional. I will make my purpose your purpose. And our primary purpose when we get up in the morning and say, Jesus, who am I going to reach today? Jesus, who needs you today? Not how am I going to make it through today? And what am I going to do about all my problems today? God, make me more about you than more about me. We get so hung up on this. What if we turn our hobbies into opportunities to fish for people? Whatever God has made you good at, do it for the glory of God and do it for the kingdom of God. What if with the three billion people who have never heard the name of Jesus, what about them? You know, we better have a really good reason to say no to mission and to say no to ministry with three billion people who've never heard the name of Jesus. What if instead of asking, should I go? We ask the question, why shouldn't I? See, if Jesus were to live his purpose through you, here's the question this morning. If he were to live his purpose through you, what would that look like? What would it look like for Jesus to seek and save the lost through you. The Bible says that Jesus was described in his day as a friend of sinners. That's what he was known as. You heard about that guy named Jesus? Oh yeah, the one who's like a friend of sinners. That's what he was known as. And as I think about that, I thought for a moment, who are my friends? Right? Who am I having dinner with? Who am I eating with? It's usually the people that are like me or that I like, <laughs> right? Common interests. We share the same hobby and we're on the same team. We go to the same church. Who do you eat with? What's interesting is, is there's in the, in the Gospels alone, there are, there are eight invitations 
where eight times Jesus was invited to somebody's house for dinner. And the good news is he said yes every time. How many of you are hungry this morning, right? He always went when he was invited. He always went where he was invited. And he was invited to dinner eight times. And uh, three of those eight times uh, were disciples were inviting him. But five of them were lost people. Five of them were sinners. They were inviting Jesus into their home. I began to ask the question, why is, that in, why is it that in America today, evangelical Christians are known more for what they stand against than what they stand for? Why is it that evangelical Christians in America today are known more for what they hate than what they love? Why is that? Is the evangelical church in America known as, oh, they eat with sinners, right? They love people who are far from God. We're not there yet, are we? As a church at large, we're not there, but God help us to get there. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save the world. What if we began to love the hell out of people instead of pointing it out? Did I just swear? I don't know. Go home and pray about it. (laughs) Email me later, but I'm going to love the hell out of people with or without you. (laughs) Come on. That's what Jesus did. We're having some work done on our home and one of the gentlemen that that does is working on it. Uh, He's such a nice guy and and we've had so many conversations. He knows what I do. And so he's asking me all kinds of questions and. um, And he's far from God. But you know what? He's hungry. He's asking me questions. Why don't you drink? I say, well, you know, there's nothing inherently wrong with alcohol it's it's the abuse of it and then i tell him why i don't drink and it's not because i'm some great guy this pastor who you know so holy uh, i don't drink because i love you i don't drink because i love you and you say well pastor use your liberty that you have in christ and drink and i could do that And God would be okay with that. But I would cause some of you to stumble if I said, hey, great game the other day, right? I had the pastors over. We had a few beers. It was a great time. (laughs) That would hurt some of you. And that would give some of you the liberty to do something you haven't done in a long time. And you would go and you would do it. And then you would really stumble. You get sucked back into it. So I do it because I love people and I love God. And so when I tell him these stories, he's like, hmm, okay. And he loves to drink, you know, and he loves cigars. I'm thinking about starting a wine drinking, cigar smoking, small group, and I'm going to invite him to come. (laughs) So he may not come to church, but man, if I got a good Cuban cigar, he may show up. You know, (laughs) I don't know that I'll do that, but I do want to eat with sinners. I do want to be a friend of sinners, the gospel is full of stories. Jesus ate with Simon the leper, who was considered unclean. Now, this is a rabbi doing what rabbis don't do. He ate at the home with two tax collectors. He allowed a promiscuous woman, perhaps a prostitute, to uh, to touch him, to anoint him with expensive perfume. He spoke to a Samaritan woman who was a half Jew, half breed. Uh, 
he mixed in that environment and he spoke with her at the at the well. She was divorced five times. She was sleeping with her boyfriend, but she was thirsty. <laughs> and Jesus was a friend to her that day. And he met her at her point of need and began to talk about thirst and how how he had something that would cause her to never thirst again. And that day she tasted of the Lord and saw how good he was. She tasted of him. She drank the living water. It was so good. It was so real. It was so first time that she left her water jug there. She left her old life there. And she went back into her community and she led a revival that day. Now, can I tell you that would not have happened if Jesus was not a friend to a sinner? Can I tell you there are people on our city that are going to lead a revival right now? They're the worst of sinners. But they're going to be the best of preachers. They're going to be the best at witnessing. They're going to be the, the, the Saul's that turn into Paul's. But somebody has to befriend them. The cathedrals in Europe um, are, are beautiful. They're, they're, they're built to display the, the splendor of God, the majesty of God, and they do. But on Sunday mornings, those cathedrals are empty. And they're empty because they have moved away from their primary purpose. At some point, they began to focus on trying to keep people than to reach people. They were pulpits where the word of God was preached one day, where the the place was filled, where they were sending missionaries to this place called America. They They were doing the work of God. They were reaching people. But at some point, they started to focus on keeping people. At some point, the church became, the, the church was in existence for the church and not for the lost. And that's my greatest fear is that we would move into that place. Glad tidings, can I proclaim to you this morning that it's our saving capacity and our sending capacity, not our seating capacity, that determines whether we're a great church. We need to increase our saving capacity. We've got plenty of seats. We've got enough seats here. We need to increase our sending capacity. I believe there's going to be a day when, when Glad Tidings is going to be a church that, that plants church, that, that plants church, that churches that plant churches. You know, as I think about our, our church, and it's amazing what God has done here. I've been part of this church for 80 years, but Glad Tidings has been in existence for 80 years I've been part of it for 20 years. I don't know if I misspoke. Did I say I've been part of it for 80? It's a third service. I may do that from time to time. I've been part of it for 20 years, but it's been in existence for 80. It's uh, glad tidings is, is known throughout the city. Many people have been part of this church over the years. Incredible. It is an established church. And as you look at the history of this church, we have done a very good job of adding. Okay? We've done a great job of adding. We're good at addition. We've been good at division at some times. <laughs> we don't want to talk about that. But we need to be great at multiplication. We're good at adding services. We're good at adding people. We're good at adding buildings, adding staff. And we're good at growing by addition, but God wants to bring us to that place of multiplication. You know, in 80 years, guess how many churches we have intentionally planted, intentionally planted in 80 years? Two. We have intentionally planted two churches in 80 years, and those two churches are not in existence today. Right? 
We've done a good job at adding, but we've not done a good job at multiplication. And the Bible that I read, I see a church that is multiplying. Exponential growth. We've been a church that's known for what happens inside this building, not what happens outside this building. Here's what God is speaking to me. See if it bears witness in your spirit. I shared in the last two services. God wants to do more in terms of of souls being saved over the next eight years than what he has been able to do through this church over the last 80 years. The next eight years are going to be years of harvest for glad tidings. More souls are going to be saved in this place. More churches are going to be planted from this place. Some of you here this morning, you are going to be part of a church plant team. You don't know it yet, but you will find out. Some of you are called to be to be apostles, sent ones. Some of you prophets, evangelists, some pastors and teachers. We don't have enough services here for everybody to preach and teach at. What are we going to do about it? We're going to plant churches. Some of you are going to go on these teams. You're going to within this city, maybe to the other side of the world, part of some church planting teams. See, God didn't plant Glad Tidings Church 80 years ago so we could sit in this service today and go, God is good. He planted us 80 years ago so we could reach the world. He planted us 80 years ago so you could discover your gift and your callings and so you could be empowered and released to do the work of God. Some of you are going to give up your career for a different career. Some of you are going to keep what you've got and add to that what God is speaking to you. I'm just I'm just giving you a heads up. Some great things are coming down the pike. God is doing some great things. We must get back to our primary purpose of seeking and saving the lost. Christmas time is a great year to to reach those people who are far from God. And we're going to do something different this year. We're going to do something strategic this year um, that's different than what we've done in, in all the other years. Usually we do a big event. Last year we did a big Friday night outreach. The building here was packed. It was overflow seating and, and some people got saved and it was a great thing. But this year, instead of holding a Christmas outreach on Friday night, we're bringing Christmas outreach to Sunday morning over three weekends. So beginning Sunday, December the 11th in all three services and Sunday, December 18th in all three services. And then on Christmas Eve, December 24th, in those two services, we are going to do Christmas outreach. All three of those weekends are going to be filled with with amazing music and stories of people who have discovered hope. And the theme for our outreach this year for those three weekends is a thrill of hope, a thrill of hope. And we're going to go after the loss this year. Think about this. Instead of one opportunity, instead of one opportunity for people who are far from God, we're giving eight opportunities this year over three different weekends. Isn't that awesome? I love that. We're just bringing it into the mainstream. And I want you to know a thrill of hope is not for you. All right. It's for those. uh, It's for those who used to be like you. All right. All right. The one, the person you used to be, that's who the thrill of hope is for. Now, here's just some practical on how to. By the way, we have run out of invitations this weekend. 
we had over a thousand of these things and I got so excited and everybody else did in the last two services. They, they took them all. So we're going to have more of these next weekend. But here's how you can invite somebody to, um, to a thrill of hope. You take this uh, invitation and take it to the cashier at Walmart or uh, the waitress at lunch or waiter at lunch today or take it to the person who, um, who cuts your hair or shaves your head or whatever that looks like and, uh, and say, hey, you know, man, there's a lot of people who are just seeming to be really hopeless these days. That's why I'm so excited about what's happening, the thing that's happening at my church this December. And then you tell them, we're doing these three weekends of, of, of services where, man, we're going to have some incredible music and people are going to be telling their stories about how they discovered hope. Would you come? Would you like to come? Here's an invitation with the details. That's what we're doing this year for Christmas. Uh, we're just bringing it into the mainstream of our weekend services, and it's going to be incredible. I want you to please join me in doing that. Realize this. It's not your responsibility to save anybody. Only Jesus saves. Okay, our, our our responsibility is to simply invite them, is simply to give them an opportunity. I will be preaching a shorter message over those three weekends. Uh, the music will be different each weekend. The message will be different each weekend, but the invitation will be the same. We're reaching after people who are far from God. So bring those people. And here's here's what I want to leave you with. A thrill of hope is not for you. It's the person you used to be. What if we left the 99 and we went after the one, the person you used to be? Think about the person you used to be. If you were a drunk, go after the drunk, right? How many of you are with me, right? If you were just the womanizer, go after that person who's the womanizer. Say, listen, I know where you're at. I know where you're at. Go after the person who's depressed and suicidal. Go after the person you used to be. Go after the one. Go after the Matthew, like Jesus went after the Matthew. And here's my challenge to you. Invite 10 people, but go after the one. Luke chapter 15, verse number one. We'll finish up with this. The Bible says that tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Man, that would be my dream right there. If that could be said of glad tidings and that could be said of me. Just imagine this. Notorious sinners often came to listen to Pastor Walt teach. <laughs> Love it. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. And so Jesus told them this story. Verse number four, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the ninety nine others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he would joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Let's invite at least 10 people to a thrill of hope this year, but let's go after that one. Let's go after that one. And here's what we're going to do. After our three weeks of outreach, the first Sunday of the new year is, guess what? It's on New Year's Day. 
January 1 is a Sunday and we are having a celebration that Sunday and all those that got saved in the month of December, we're going to have a huge baptism service that Sunday morning and we're going to celebrate all the lives that were saved, all the lives that were changed in the month of December. And people who normally wake up with a hangover on New Year's Day, they're going to wake up and come to Glad Tidings and they're going to get baptized that morning and their friends are going to ask, hey, what'd you do on New Year's? Didn't you get wasted? No, I didn't get wasted. I went to bed and I got up early and I went to church and I got baptized and they're going to go, what the heck's going on here? That's exactly right. And they're going to go, man, I found Christ or he found me or something's going on. I, here's what I'm believing for. I'm believing for a hundred people baptized on January one. Let's begin the new year eating with sinners. Let's begin the new year celebrating new life. Amen. I want you to bow your heads with me as we close this morning. You're here this morning and Pastor Wall, I'm glad you're excited. But man, I, I don't know that I'm right with God. You're here this morning. You say, you know, I think I'm far from God this morning, actually. You may be here and you feel like you're like Matthew. The guy we read about, Matthew, the tax collector. And you've done stuff you're ashamed of. You've done stuff people don't like you for. And you're far from Jesus. But I've got good news this morning. Jesus is passing by your booth. And he's calling you. He's calling you to leave the life you know. He's calling you to follow him. He's calling you to to receive the life that he has. Both now and forever. Let me ask you a simple question today. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If you were to die today, do you know where you would go? Do you have the assurance of heaven? I remember the day when I had no assurance of heaven. I was scared of death because I knew I was not right with God. I knew I would go to a devil's hell. I I knew I was not right with God. I remember the day. I also remember that Jesus was calling me that day. And he was asking me to give up my life. He was asking me to give up my sin. He was asking me to turn it over to him in exchange for his life and his righteousness. I remember also in my heart the battle, the fight that I had with God that day. I was wrestling because I I, I didn't know that I wanted to surrender. I I, I wanted control. I didn't want to relinquish. I remember that day. Let me just encourage you today. Heads bowed, eyes are closed. That's you today. You're fighting in the inside with God. Listen, if you fight against God and you win, you really lose. But if you fight against God and you lose, you surrender today. That's when you really win. And you've been fighting him. And now is the moment of surrender. Now is the moment saying, okay, God, you win. Take over. Take my sin, take my life, take my all. And I'm going to count to three. And on the count of three, if that's you and you're far from God and you want to be right with God, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand nice and high. Here we go. One, God's coming after you. Two, Do you hear him calling your name? Three, raise your hand nice and high. I'm far from God, but I'm coming back to him. Raise your hand nice and high. If that's you, your hand is up. I want you to just look at me, eye contact with me. God bless you. Listen, welcome home, man. You're in the right place. You're hearing his voice. You're responding to his voice. God bless you. 
you're here in the right place today. God is coming out. He's calling you like he called Matthew. Isn't that incredible? God still speaks today in the balcony. I see hands in the balcony. I see probably a dozen or more hands up this morning, even over here in the balcony. Bless you guys. Awesome. Listen, you're not hearing it from a preacher today. You're hearing God speak to you. You're hearing God talk to you, calling you this morning. I want you to pray this simple prayer. You raise your hand, simple prayer this morning. God in heaven, I don't deserve forgiveness. But by faith, I receive forgiveness because of what Jesus did for me on the cross. I forsake my sin. I hate it. I don't want it anymore. I want forgiveness. I want you. Jesus, I give you my sin. I give you my life in exchange for your life, in exchange for forgiveness. I receive you as my Lord and Savior today in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. I am so glad that Jesus always took time in his meetings to reach the one, the person who is ready to turn, the person who is ready to repent. There were about a dozen people today And I want to do what the angels are doing in heaven right now. The angels are celebrating. There is joy in heaven today. I love to eat. I just need to eat with sinners more. Come on, how many of you with me? We need to be intentional about who we have meals with. We need to be intentional who we do life with. Don't be afraid of people who are not like you. Don't be afraid of people who are confused. Come on. It wasn't that long ago that you were hurting and you were confused, right? God, may this be a place. May this be a place. And may we be a people that sinners are attracted to. In Jesus' name. What if the church... In Omaha, what if the church called Glad Tidings became known as the church that was a friend to sinners? Do you think Jesus would be excited about that? Do you think he'd get behind that? Do you think he'd show up in our meetings? Whatever that means. Listen, if you raise your hand and you prayed today, I am so glad you're here. I'm so glad you prayed. And this is the first day of the rest of your life. You may not understand what happened, and that's okay. I didn't understand either. None of us did. You may not know what's going to happen moving. That's okay. Jesus is in control. But we want to help you grow. So here's what I want you to do. Everybody stand to your feet. We're going to wrap things up. Everybody to your feet this morning. Prayer workers, please come. Prayer workers, come. You raise your hand this morning. When I close the service, I want you to be bold. I want you to come down. I want you to tell a prayer worker, I prayed with pastor today. And they're going to give you some information that's going to help you, that's going to bless you. Listen, if you meant it, be serious about it. Don't let people hold you back. Don't let fear hold you back. Come down let them know. I prayed with pastor today. We want to bless you today. If you need prayer for any other reason, come and talk to one of our prayer workers. Prayer workers, please come if you would. All right. Awesome. Can I pray with you? God, thank you this morning that you are a friend to sinner like me. Thank you, God, that you you stopped on your journey and you you called me when I was in my 
my my booth like Matthew and I was in my place of sin and corruption. God, I thank you that you reached out and you called me. God, I thank you that you sat down at the table with me when I was a sinner. God, I thank you that you came into my house when I invited you to come in. God, I just pray, Lord, that we'd be contagious, God. Contagious to people who are far from you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Come if you raise your hand. If you're new to us here at Glad Tidings, please stop by our Welcome Center. And next week, I'm sorry we ran out, but we will have plenty of invitations to a thrill of hope. Be thinking about that one person you're going to pursue. That one person that you used to be. God bless you. Have a wonderful week in Jesus.